Hello and welcome to the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hatch, and I'd like to tell you a scary story about where I'm from. Here's the thing about August in Nebraska. It's easily the worst month of the year. The humidity ramps up to hellish proportions, hanging on your body like you were some last minute entrance into the least sexy wet t-shirt contest that's ever existed. The summer's fist, the one that was clenched so tight through July that summer's own knuckles were starting to ache, is dully throbbing. When you were a kid, did you ever do that thing where you held your breath just to see how long you could make it? I was never very good. I'd get to about 50 seconds and I'd feel the panic start to rise inside of my chest, trying to claw its way out of those little air sacs in my sternum like an animal escaping its burrow an inch before the fang jaws of a snake snatch at its tail. But I always wanted to make it to one minute, just to say that I had accomplished it. That's what August feels like in Nebraska. We've filled our lungs with the nice parts of summer, with late May and early June. Now all of the state is starting to feel that obtuse, yearning ache. July just ticked past, and the heat and duration of the dog days is making us claustrophobic, regardless of the easy access to panoramic views that these flatlands offer up to us. Anyway, I would always inevitably fail to make it much past a minute when I was holding my breath, and I would then find myself gasping in the buoyant air in the back row of Mr. Ortiz's ninth grade English class when I definitely should have been studying the Iliad. That's the start of fall, that great inhalation, (sighs) that visceral reemergence of life. And so as September draws ever nearer, with all this dogged heat still sticking to limbs and psyches, the start of fall and the start of the school year are welcome distractions. My own son has been back in school for a little over a week. So if you hear someone suddenly sobbing into the microphone and cursing the passage of time, my house isn't haunted. I'm just a steaming pile of fatherly emotions around this time of year. But let's say you're older than a seven-year-old, which, if you're listening to this potty-mouthed podcast, hopefully you are. Or your parents are at least there to shout out, Earmuffs! when they feel that inevitable swear word ramping up. You might even be getting ready to head down to a college campus somewhere where you're already there. If you're heading past my alma mater, the place where I got kicked off the staff of the local newspaper and where I still occasionally find myself roaming. Yes, if you happen to be one of those lucky few that finds yourself strolling the hallowed sidewalks, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the next few weeks. Allow yourself a little time to venture past one of the most storied buildings on this storied campus. 
and see if you don't suddenly feel something different in the thick summer air that's smeared across this place with the dull knife of humidity. Do you feel that? Do this, if you will. Spare a moment to adjust the suddenly heavy shoulders of your backpack and lock eyes with the 100-year-old stone gaze of the temple building and see if that pillared grin of an entrance looks more predatory than it did at first glance. So here's the thing about the temple building. It may be 87 degrees out with humidity that could wrap around your throat like a goth kid's dog collar. But if you allow yourself to listen to what this place has to offer, that sweat kissing off your brow will have nothing to do with Fahrenheit or Celsius, and it will have everything to do with the sudden chill that murmurs across your skin. So let's throw another log on our digital campfire, huddle closer together, and somebody pass me the damn s'mores. It's midnight now, and I'm going to tell you about the temple and the ghosts that dwell within. This is a What the Husk podcast production. And this is episode seven of The Ghosts of Lincoln. Yeah, it's definitely haunted, said every actor, director, lighting guy, and janitor of every theater ever. If you've ever known a theater person, You've undoubtedly heard their ghastly tales of spook story fever dreams and witnessed them shudder at the mere mention of Macbeth with the deep spinal spasms of the wildly superstitious. Don't tell them good luck. Instead, reference the barbaric snapping of a femur. Yes, it's a culture wholly its own with different rules and guidelines and hashtag vibes. But what if they're right? What if a place is haunted? A place where students and faculty and fans had to, by the very nature of the endeavor, spend hours and delirious minutes deep into the midnight of digital clocks blinking? What if, when the curtain opened up, it looked a little too much like the hungry grin of something predatory? and the spotlight itself couldn't penetrate the shadows lurking just off stage right at the peripheries of sight. If Alan Boy is right, that's the temple building on the University of Nebraska's campus, a place where things don't just bump in the night, but crash and tap and creak and speak to you if you just stop rehearsing your soliloquy long enough to listen. This ancient building, completed with a generous donation from Rockefeller himself. It's a long story, but it's one of those rich guy to rich guy connections. It has been on the campus of the university for so long that it's been reborn, like a phoenix from ash, on many occasions. With all the drama that a name so grand and an art so passionate would imply.
but did a man really fall from the rafters while completing the building? Did this student carpenter's boot slip and send him hurtling down to an untimely demise, tumbling into some unholy abyss that juxtaposes poetically with the grandeur of the temple? That we cannot definitively prove. In no headlines nor newspapers around the time the building was completed could I find any documentation showing that anyone had died during the construction. I couldn't find proof of any construction-related fall, fatal, or otherwise. Now, does that mean this is impossible? Absolutely not. But it makes the story of this ill-fated young man all the less likely. So what of the legends? Could they still be true? Are the shady parts of the long-standing building filled with the dancing, flickering shadows of something not alive and not fully dead? Boy and others would tell you the legends are true. They would tell you about the sounds, the noises that echo above the seats in the temple building that sound like feet scuttling across the floor, something fast and skittery there and not clomping across the ceiling in the moments before the curtain goes up and your stomach drops down to hear tom bell tell it those noises those footsteps that so many have heard up above the theater well one night they came down right to him It was deathly late, and Tom was doing what so many college kids are doing that time of night, dealing with the demons of his own procrastination. He hadn't put off a paper or a book, you see. Tom was one of the students that did his writing with his body and his art with his feet. He was working on a tap dancing routine of all things. Dancing and tapping, and his legs were fully on fire. He sat down for a moment, swinging his tap shoes and resting them, hanging them over the edge of the stage, when suddenly from the back row he heard something. The hour was so late, and the moment seemingly so strange that it took a minute for his logic to catch up to his ears. He craned his neck, leaning towards the sound. It was. It was clapping. Someone slowly, sarcastically slapping their hands together from the back of the theater. Suddenly, blinded by the light, but not wrapped up like a deuce, nor another runner in the night, he stood, feet clattering beneath him and echoing out into the seemingly deserted front rows. He held a hand over his eyes shielding them from the bright stage lamps that were blasting down to give him the proper illumination. Hello? He called out. Polite, but clearly the 1960s version of the fuck? No answer. The clapping, though, continued unabated. It seemed to be giving him an auditory C+. And damn it all if he wasn't worth at least a B minus on this particular project. Fully, and perhaps slightly irrationally annoyed, he leapt off the stage and started towards the back row of seats, 
his feet jangling against the floor as he dashed haphazardly into the darkened room. As he neared that back row, still seems no culprit for this Joker gift slow clap, the noise suddenly stopped. Confused, pissed, Tom spun in a full circle, and not the kind of cool, practiced pirouette that would net him a passing grade. No, this was a full-on, drunken, whirling dervish of slasher movie confusion. Who's there? Part question, part plea. He found himself staring at more empty seats than a Creed cover band concert. And that's when he heard it. Another noise. On the stage now. Back where he had been only moments before. It was the sound of tap shoes. Doing his routine, his performance, only better. Something unseen, perhaps unliving, but it was as clear as day. Which brings us to a segment that we like to call The Ghost Roast. I mean, can we just talk for a second about how brutal it is to get roasted by a ghost? Like, not getting roasted by me, not some hack with a keyboard, a Coors Light, and nothing but too much free time on his hands. This is the undead we're talking about, and they found your tap dance routine so abhorrent that they literally came back from the afterlife just to taunt you by owning you at your own major. They don't even have legs. And there's still a better tap dancer than you? What does their dance outfit look like? A sheet with two eye holes and Gregory Hines' legs sticking out the bottom? If you lose a dance battle to a ghost, you didn't just get served like some crappy movie from 2004 with significantly too many Kevin Fetter lines in it. You got smoked on your home turf by a dead dude or a dead girl who hated your performance enough to borrow tap shoes from the devil himself just to outclick and outclack you. If my computer jumps to life and I see words leaping out onto the keyboard all by themselves, I'm not going to assume that I've somehow unlocked a portal to the afterlife through the majesty of podcast script writing. I'm going to decide that I need to hang up my fucking spurs. That's it for me. I'm going to retire. You all will be in luck because the podcast will probably significantly improve in tenor and style. But I'll be closing the laptop for good if that ever happens. I'll be drinking another Coors Light and watching some preseason football, even though I don't care about the fourth-string QB for the Giants. And this has been another edition of The Ghost Roast. But let's keep in mind for a moment that this was certainly not the only sign of paranormal activity at this location. While the death of the falling construction worker is certainly unconfirmed, so many stories abound at this location that you would have to believe it's the site of strange happenings at the very least. Another report, as relayed to us by Alan Boy in his book, touches on the potential on-campus death of one particularly famous professor. Dallas Williams, who, 
himself is quoted in Boy's text as a leading source on the ghostly apparitions within the building, is said to still be roaming the hallways and attic space of the temple building. Known for his wild but caring nature and his propensity to throw books or even desks against the walls of his classroom should he ever catch a student drifting off to sleep. It's rumored that this key player in the theater program's mid-70s renaissance could still be banging around. Perhaps he's responsible for the lights flickering or the various noises that seem to continue to be heard late into the night at the building. And so, whether it was indeed the star-crossed demise of some young carpenter who dreamt from on high of his moment to shine on the very stage below, or whether those noises are the flamboyant and adventurous professor who so loved his work that he may still be holding on even after his death, one thing is for certain. When that curtain is drawn across the stage on this steamy August night at the temple building, the show is most definitely not over. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast.